Okay, here we go. Stop having so much fun. It's church. Get crabby. <laughs> All right, here we go. Here we go. Welcome to Advent 4. Uh, let's pray, and then there's oh, so much, so much to do. The coming joy. This was always known as the coming joy in the, in the old calendar. My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Luke 1, 46 and 47. We heard all about that. That was a genius sermon this morning. Thank you very much. Um, you know, that, that the same word is used in the Old Testament for overshadow of the tabernacle and, the, um, and used again in the New Testament for Mary is you know, stunning. That's the kind of stuff that you have to learn to connect the dots over years, and that's a great, a great little insight that's great fun. Lord Jesus Christ, our light and our salvation, you, are the, you alone are the one who can come and save us sinners. We thank you for the promise of your coming and the will to perform in us again your saving work. We beg you now, rule us by your Holy Spirit, that from this day forward we wait for no one else and put our trust in nothing else in heaven or on earth except in you alone, our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Okay, good. Uh, thanks very much. So we're going to take a couple of weeks off now. Um, we'll be off next week for Christmas Day, the following week for New Year's Day, and then the next week will be a fun day in the gym where you can all find your spot. Uh, a lot of the folks who work here at different things that serve uh, Christ will have tables set up and displays. So uh, this, is, this is, you know, there's a lot to do today because I want to get to a clean stopping point. Um, Let's see, here's what I'm going to do first. Uh, I've brought this two weeks in a row, and I've not sent it around to you, but I'm going to send it now because otherwise, if you want to look at it, you won't get a chance. Um, just be careful not to spill coffee on it, please, uh, which is why I keep, uh, it's easier than you, than you think. Um, you don't have to put the gloves on, but if you just at least hold it by the gloves, um, then you won't, uh, it won't tarnish up so easily, and then we won't have to... Uh, you know, we, want to, we want to clean so fast. Um, a gospel book is a fun thing. It's the last thing we'll do today. We use this uh, on the big feast days. Usually a gospel book is used not in common time, usually. It's used in this half of the church here where it's all about Jesus and what he's doing. You remember that we've said to you over and over again, there's just one story in Scripture. That is the story of going home again to Eden. That's accomplished through the death and resurrection of Christ. So as you look at this on one side, you'll notice that inset is uh, a crucifix. On the other side, the resurrection, which sort of is about all you need to know to be a Christian. I'm going to pop these hinges open. You can take a look on the inside. They're spring-loaded. Please be careful with them. They will come off if you work them too hard. Um, you know, these are delicate things, and usually, usually they're cared for you know, with fear and trepidation. So we want to make sure that we... Uh, but on the other hand, I, I have to say that this is a great thing about the Altar Guild. They're so careful and concerned, and um, which is great. I mean, you couldn't have a better altar. In fact, if you want to do something in the church, male or female, the Altar Guild is about as much fun as you can have. Uh, they're so careful about things, and they take such good care. We all have to remember, though, you know, it's a workspace. This is a working, living thing. When we have incense, it gets the triple-double, Right? Right? Remember we did incense? If you're alive, you get the triple-double. You get one, two, three. A crucifix gets it. The Bible gets it. The altar gets it. So if you want to have a look at it, you can. Um, it does have little knobby things on it that hold it up. So you can... You can um, um, and there's another pair, too. So that's good. You can have that. Uh, let's see. On your... The baskets, if you can throw some money in, it will magically double. 
because it'll go to People's Resource Center. Somebody gave them, I think it's something like $150,000. So, you know, if we go to $156,000, we'll probably ruin the whole thing. So stop at $150,000. Um, you know, give what you like. Don't go over one hundred and fifty. dollars At one hundred dollars we'll find a new project, okay? That's good. Okay, next thing. Um, that is the crucif- that crucifix in back. I set it there so you can have a look at it. We're going to come to that in just a moment, but you can take a look at it as you go out. That was one of the joys in Rome. Uh, we just brought the, the crucifix back, and, and then the stick was put on it by the same man who did all the woodwork. Mark Miller, uh, he did all the woodwork in the, in the nave. And so you'll notice on that, that has the four symbols that we're going to talk about today. Uh, next thing. In the initial plans, I don't, how many of you get the Lutheran Witness? Anybody get it? Okay. You might have seen this article, This Time's Lutheran Witness. So a couple of things interesting about this. Um, we always, you know, I know, here's why you're really good. You've stopped being uncomfortable with us. But I know for many years, you know, there's been discomfort here because we're always just kind of ahead of the next thing. So, you know, eight years ago when we talked about building the church, the first discussions we had were, are we going to build a pole barn or are we going to build a liturgical space? And a lot of people thought we were nuts for building a liturgical space. In fact, this was in our original plan. This blue on the top, and then also the stenciling was even bid. Now, there were some derogatory comments about that, and I didn't feel at some point about, as, as one person said, it'll, be like, it'll look like a bunch of Ukrainian immigrants. I'm thinking... <laughs> Got nothing against the Ukrainians, they, you know. Uh, but you know, there's a long history of a of a bluish, you know, a bluish color. We, you know, we never got to it. It was time, money, and I didn't feel like fighting about it. But what's interesting now is that you know, five six years later, suddenly the most mainstream wouldn't take a risk. You know, here's the straight stuff magazine, the Lutheran Witness, is suddenly writing an article about building a liturgical church. Uh, so, Pastor Ganey's sister was uh, married in this church, um, gosh, I don't know, August or something like that? Reformation weekend, yeah. And uh, so he had great joy of Pastor Harrison preached there the next week. They actually have, I mean, for you who think we're too Catholic, they actually have a cathedral. They have a bishop's chair there set aside for when the president shows up, and they have one for the bishop. They have special, special places for them. You can read through this. John, do you want to click? I didn't copy these in color just because it gets expensive, but click through the next one. I mean, you can see what the church is like. So all these questions we had about, like we had vigorous discussions about will we have statues or not, and then the question is always asked, you know, are statues Lutheran? I give you statues, you know. Uh, This is the great mother church in Detroit from which, you know, all other churches flourished. So, you know, I mean... A lot of times people have this idea of what Lutheranism is is what they learn in Confirmation. Uh, Lutheranism is a big thing, and real honestly, true Lutheranism is Catholic. Small c, universal, we do what everybody else does. So, you know, we've been saying, and with your spirit, for, you know, ten years or so, and we're just glad the Pope caught up this week. It was great. (laughs) You know, so just kind of go with that. Just a little, just a little, just just a little one. It was just a little one, because we like him. Uh... Turn to the next one, see what else we've got. Oh, see, then you get a close-up. And when you're putting that kind of money into building a church, as the last thing says, nobody could build this anymore. One, you couldn't pay for it. And two, you can't find the craftsman. Hey, you want to know something? When you're ready to build another one, if you're willing to pay for it, I'll find the craftsman. Because <laughs> it's not impossible. It's just really difficult. But people back then, you know, I mean, people back then, 
you know, they dug up and found a way. So, but they understood in a different way that the building always wins. That it's not just a utilitarian thing in there. And I can feel it coming. I can tell you, the rhythm is starting to establish itself with you and with us. We're getting to the point where you don't have to look around anymore and we still know what's going on. That's how you know you get the liturgy going the right way. You don't notice us, we don't notice you. We all notice the little baby Jesus who's coming to us in the Eucharist and giving us the gifts. That's what we notice. And you can feel it in there. Things are starting to come. It's starting to be second nature to you. So uh, anyway, it's just really fun. I give you that article just for your own reading, okay? Everybody good? I should have used that into a segue of talking about what we're going to talk about, but i got to give you the other thing. The other thing we've been talking to you, you remember for years, we've been talking to you about you know, beauty and um, community and spirituality and mercy. And then the last, a couple of times, at least in this Bible study, we've talked to you about just having fun, about laughter, about having kids in the congregation, about how important it is. So lo and behold, you know, New York Times editorial page, Sunday edition, last week, you can't get more hip than this, you know, look at the part that's marked. We believe that G.K. Chesterton got it right when he said, it's a test of a good religion, whether you can joke about it. I mean, frankly, if the Missouri Senate could laugh at itself a little bit more, we'd all be a little better off, okay? But then read the next part. By that measure, there is very little good religion out there. Put bluntly, God is not a lot of fun these days. Isn't this great? Many of us don't view religion so generously. All we see is an angry God. So here's the thing. And this guy is, this, basically this article is about, yeah, there are believers, there are hardcore believers and hardcore pagans. What about the rest of us? Because we'd really like to believe that there's a God, but we just find the God that you're talking about so irrelevant and frankly angry. Why would we ever walk in the door? You understand then why if you, if you fight, people will never come in. They'll never walk in the door. If all they hear from the pulpit is you're a damn sinner and, you know, They'll never come in the door. If they come in and it's not beautiful, they'll never come in the door. I mean, this isn't me. This is the Sunday New York Times last week editorial page. This is some guy saying, I wish I could find a place to go to church. Isn't that great? So what we have to do, and this is what we've talked about, and this is what we built for, and this is what the new members class does, we're trying to find a place where people want to come to church. It's the best stuff. All we see is an angry God. He is constantly judging and smiting. And so are his followers. No wonder so many Americans are enamored of the Dalai Lama. I am too. I love to listen to the Dalai Lama, partly because he practices what he preaches. He laughs often and well. Precious few of our religious leaders laugh. They shout. I can't, I'll just be honest with you. I mean, I felt like the guys above me, the whole time I've been a pastor, have been shouting at me. Very often, pastoral letters will come from somebody in the Senate, and they'll start by saying, what in the hell's wrong with all you guys? I mean, really. And you're just, I just kind of slide it. I've just stopped reading them. If a letter comes to me like that, I just stop reading it because, hey, I know what's wrong with me. Okay? Uh, and it gets fixed in at the Eucharist. God is not an exclamation point, though. He is, at his best, a semicolon, beauty, connecting people, community, and generating what Aldous Huxley, Aldous Huxley called human grace. People need mercy. Somewhere along the way, we've lost sight of this, spirituality. In one paragraph, he hits all the things we've been talking about for four years. And it's from the flipping New York Times. 
You know, we're not making this up. So there it is. So you should take great joy in that. See, this is, you should take joy in a morning like this, where you come in and people are talking and people are laughing, and did you see the dartball video? I mean, how much more fun can you have, right? By the way, um, we do need people to work. I was supposed to say, but you can have some fun working on the coffee pots. We need some people to do that. If you can help volunteer. The Scheidt family has now requested a 401k plan for their... Uh, <laughs> Because they, they've worked, you know, they've worked the, the coffee pot so long, they think they're above the 30-hour, um, you know, legal limit here. So, you know, it's either that or some of the rest of you got to volunteer, okay? So what you're looking for is to have a fun place. People feel like God is angry. People feel like God's followers are angry. People feel like churches are crabby. You want people to come to church? Be nice. It's just that easy. Be calm. Be loving. And when you're having a bad day, go to the Eucharist. But don't be part of a thing where everybody's crabby all the time because you will die, right? I mean, people are telling us, we don't have to run, a, we don't have to, run, we don't have to like, call consultants. They tell us. They tell us what they want. They want beauty. They want community. They want spirituality. They want mercy. They want fun. They want laughter. They want a God who loves them. That's what they want. And they want people like you who love them too. So when a visitor walks through the door, honestly, break off what you're doing and go love them. You know how hard it is to be a visitor and walk through the door of a church? Especially if you're not church. You know how hard that is? You know how hard that is if you've got a sin that's bothering you? It's very hard to walk through the door of a church. If you take two steps in and somebody says, hey, it's great to see you here. We love you. What can I do for you? Have a cup of coffee. Sit down. Watch the dartball video. Join the team at 7.30 on Tuesdays. Then they think they're part of the community and life's good. Make sense? And there's not enough of me, and you can't hire that much staff to do that. It's really got to come from you. People people will go where they're served best, and that's the place we want to be. Make sense? So anyway, it's just just fun. All right, um, here's where we're going. Okay, now, any questions about any of that? Quarter till, quarter till. Got to remember quarter till, okay? I think I can do it. At the end, I'm going to give, uh, so it's 40 till, because I want to give, pa- I said last week, you know, Pastor Just is off to the Holy Land with his lovely wife. There's a brochure back there. He's going to talk about it just a little bit. You know, I thought about going, don't wait for me. If you've been dying to go to the Holy Land, you should go. You know, maybe someday again, but um, it was just too busy this year to do. But if you want to go a year from now, you should go. They run a great trip, and it's a lot of fun. Um, he'll talk to you at the end about that just for a moment. Okay, do you have a handout that I've given you now for about three weeks in a row? You got that one? <laughs> now, under true confession, the very first thing I'm going uh, to talk about is um, all stuff that I stole from Arthur. So that's really good. Uh, it's nice that you're here. You can hear how your lecture is going to go, right? Churches are built for walking. In some sense, churches are built for walking. In fact, I thought I was going to, um, if I had remembered, uh, but you can check this next time you go to a great cathedral. There's often a labyrinth on the, on the floor. You know what these are like? In Notre Dame in Paris, there's one. In many of the great cathedrals, they have one. It's a path that you walk. Now, here's the thing. It's not a maze. It's not like a corn maze in Iowa where I grew up. It's not like that. The point of a corn maze is to get you lost, make you dial 911. Uh, the a point of a maze is to get you lost. A labyrinth is meant to, there's only one way in and one way out, and you can't get lost. 
so long as you get to the end. There's one way in, pause, there's one way out. You come in broken, you walk, you relax, you pray, you stop, it's quiet. You're strengthened, you remember what the Lord has done for you, you move back out, um, and you're ready to take on the world again. Regularly, prayers are prescribed as you walk through. We didn't do that. If I had come to you and said, let's build a labyrinth on the floor, that would have been the end of me. So um, <laughs> what you get, though, is, not, is, is fairly close, which is you, actually get, you get, actually get, we took seriously the walking, and what you get is stone from Jerusalem. Uh, it is so much fun. Can you click John ahead? Oops, let's click forward. There you go. That's it being put in. Now, the stone out here underneath the pews is not from Jerusalem. It's the center bit that leads you to the altars and around the altars, the most important places you need to go. So there's stone from, from Jerusalem around there. Click the next one. I have to tell you, it was exciting when this came the day, and it said, Made in Israel. And then it says, Old City. That's the Old City of Jerusalem, which is, there's Old City and New City, and if you go on Arthur's trip, he'll tell you the difference. Actually, it's where the wall is built and how it expanded. Old city, gray gold. So this is stone from the old city of Jerusalem. The day that came, it was just shockingly cool that we could do this. It wasn't, you know, a lot more than getting a good porcelain tile. It was, you know, fifteen or twenty thousand dollars more. Now go back to the very first thing we said. Yeah, it's fifteen or twenty thousand dollars more, but we're hoping that floor will be there for fifty or hundred years. You know, so you build things that have meaning. Click to the next one, John. What have we got? You know, there is this consistent pattern all the way through. Um, if I had, well, there's a consistent pattern, and if you get close, you can see often there are fossils. Have you found them? There's little fishies and ferns, and you, know, you think about the first article and the Lord who made you when that happens. Keep going. Uh, and then we'll pause there. So let's, let's just, just, just talk about walking for a second. If you want to really know about what I'm going to say, you should buy uh, the commentary from Concordia Publishing House by Arthur, just two volumes. He probably doesn't get a nickel, do you, anymore? Do you still get paid? You probably get nothing from that, do you? But nevertheless, the joy of knowing you've helped, okay? <laughs> so uh, it's like five years of your life and a thousand pages, and you get, a, you get a hearty handshake and a slack on the back. Well done. Thank you very much. Right? A Christmas ornament, exactly right. A nice letter from the chairman. There's only one story in your life. You're walking back to Jerusalem. You're walking back to the temple. You're walking back to Golgotha. You're walking back home. You're walking back to Eden. That's the only story in your life. Now, one of the things I learned from Arthur, first time I had actually ever heard it, you know, 20 years ago when we first met, was that all of this, in fact, all of the liturgy is contained in the Easter story. You've preached about this, I think, a time or two here and taught about it, but it's a genius thing to kind of remember. So number one, one way to speak about the Christian life is pilgrimage. Hey, we're going home. Prodigal son, we're all going home. Let's go home. It's going to be great. There's actually not going to be an angry father who meets you. There's actually going to be a God who meets you there who loves you. It's the best of all things. When you don't know where to go, go home. And if home won't take you, come to the church. We'll always take you, okay? One way to speak of the Christian life is a pilgrimage, a journey, or a long walk home. This happens in the liturgy between the font and the altar. John, can you back up all the way to, like, almost to the first one? Uh, that's all right. Or forward or back, too. That's all right. There you go. Um, when you stand here and you walk in, it was built intentionally to kind of pull you in. I actually had some, we, we have people probably once or twice a week 
walk in the front door and say, can I take a tour? A guy came in this week um, who was a teacher around at several um, Christian schools around. He, gets, he stops at the door and he goes, wow, the wall really pulls you into the space. I'm like, all right. <laughs> Thank you very much. That's what you want. You want to be pulled. You want to be pulled into the space through the font. We spend all kinds of time talking about that. That's your life. That's your death. That's your life again. That's your transition. It's this liminal moment. It's a threshold. Beyond there, we're new kind of people. And you live your whole life right in here. That's where you live your life. This is the truest thing that happens. This is your truest family. This family is more family than people who have the same blood. Because you're the family of God and you were made here. You spend the, what you get here is nourished up there. So here's your safety tip for today. Why is there a red circle here? And why is there a red circle around the altar? Go in and look. This stone is the same as this stone. Why is it? Because what you get here is nourished here. And these two things are interconnected. They're interconnected by the liturgy. Where you rejoice in having the scriptures open to you, and Jesus making himself known in the breaking of the bread. If you don't believe me, right here it is. So, the Easter story, right? Luke 24. I had to put it down a little bit to get it on the page, but sorry about that. Um, That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus. They're taking a walk, seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about all the things that had happened. That's you. That's the disciples. They're on a walk. And sometimes things are happy to talk about, and sometimes they're not so happy. This was a particularly dismal day, right? While they were talking uh, and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near. Notice that Jesus comes to them. You hear that again in Matthew 28 with the baptismal institution. Jesus came to them. He meets them on a mountain. He comes to them. Jesus came near, and he went with them. But their eyes, they just couldn't see him, which you know is common. Mary saw him right after the resurrection. She couldn't tell it was him. She thought it was the gardener. There's something about your resurrected body that somebody has to say, that's Gunter. And then you go, whoa, I didn't know they could do that kind of work on a man. I mean, that's what's going to happen. You know, I mean, I mean, as somebody said to me this week, I remember when you had hair and didn't wear glasses. I'm thinking to myself, wait to heaven, buddy. Just wait, okay? All right? So Jesus speaks to them. He loves them. They, they're, they're, they're distracted. They're dismal. They walk in the front door. They're visitors. They're completely unnerved. And Jesus comes to them and he speaks to them. O oh, foolish ones and slow, to, slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did you hear the prophecy today? 2 Samuel 7 goes to the king and he says, there's going to be a covenant. There's going to be a house. There's going to be a son. Just wait. That's the story of the whole scriptures. That's the story of the walk back. That our dear Lord Jesus Christ will come to us and be our king. Wasn't it necessary that Christ should suffer these things? You should have read the prophets and enter into glory. Isaiah 53. See, that's the atonement there. And beginning with Moses and the prophets, he interpreted them in them all the scriptures there concerning himself. So a church always speaks the word And Jesus speaks. When the pastor speaks, it's not the pastor speaking, it's Jesus speaking, insofar as the pastor is consonant with what Jesus says. And when he reads the text, it just can't go wrong. Just read the text. So Jesus interpreted the scripture, that's word, 
So they drew near to the village where they were going. He acted as if he was going on. They asked him to stay. And then the great words that we have for evening prayer, stay with us, Lord, for it is evening, and the day is far gone. Right? So he went in with them. When he was at the table with them, our Lord Jesus Christ, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had blessed it, given thanks, he broke it, and he gave it to them, and he said, you know, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. There's the Eucharist. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. Faith comes by hearing the sermon this morning. Faith comes because Jesus reveals himself. Faith comes because Jesus gives you a gift. Faith comes because he loves you. And to be loved that way opens your eyes. I've never been loved like that before. That's genius. Thank you so much. Right? They said to our, each other, didn't our hearts burn inside us when he talked to us on the road? Right? Didn't our hearts burn inside us when we heard the gospel reading for today? I mean, that is a genius gospel reading. The angel, Mary, let it be unto me. I'll play along. Whatever happens, man, that is great stuff. So there you have it, and that establishes the paradigm for liturgy and life from Easter on. Everybody's walking home. And on the walk, the Lord speaks to you and feeds you, reveals himself in word and reveals himself in sacrament, all because you are the baptized. Here's your walk, here's the gifts, here's the start, and at some point, it is asked. The Mass is over, get out of here and live your life. Go out and be happy so that we don't have to read this again next week. Right? That's a lot to do. We've got a lot to do. Okay? Click ahead for me, John Crow. Let's see what we got. I don't know. We'll have to see where we want to go down about go down to that one right there, number six, yeah. Now one more up. There that one right there. So that's where you're going. You're being pushed ahead to that. Here's your red ring that reminds you, you know, this eternity, the eternity that was bestowed in baptism is nourished at the altar. And that's your so and you'll notice too, as best as we were able. You'll notice that the walkway is in the sign of the cross. Did you get that? Did you also get the way the pews are set is in the sign of the cross? Go in and look. Intentionally, the, the, there's a cross going in and a cross going out. Intentionally, where the aisle is for the pews and the curve makes the sign of the cross right by the font. It also makes the sign of the cross here. You walk in, and it goes like this. Got it? And at the center of that cross is the body and blood of Christ. None of that is accidental. Somebody was moaning this week about the shape of the altar. I'll get to it, but just so you know, if you got a beef, you're going to have to talk to Jesus himself because that altar, as I recall, has exactly the same dimensions as the altar in the tabernacle. Somebody said, God doesn't like square altars. I'm like, really? Because <laughs> when he designed his... I don't know. Whatever. You just keep going. Just keep going. All right. Now, um, beyond that, uh, you need a little bit of help. I mean, you always need you always need some love from people who are smarter and uh, better than you. And among the smarter and better are the uh, the apostles. Okay. So, um, second page. When you build a nave. Um, it needs to be fit for the liturgy. When you build a nave, it's a, it's a very serious thing. Uh, you're building something that you're asking 
God to come and live in. And you heard that in the Old Testament for today. You know, he's, God's going to live somewhere. He lives in the tabernacle, then he lives in Mary's womb, then he lives in the flesh and blood of Jesus Christ, and now he lives on the altar. I mean, that's why, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. That's Palm Sunday. He's coming to his temple. And then the end, O Lord, now let your servant go in peace according to your word. My eyes have seen the glory of your salvation. I actually saw you on the altar. So you come up to the temple, you go out from the temple, God was there. So when you, when you, um, when you build it, it just is a, it's a ton of responsibility. One is God's going to live there. Two is you're going to live there. And you're going to live there for, for, for life, for listening, for learning, for eating, for drinking, for bathing, the font, for community, for family, for travel, for growth, for maturity, for living to give out the gifts that Jesus gives us. It's a terrible responsibility and a great joy to be able to build this. We'll never, I mean, not, I don't know, you know, I'll never do this again. Many of you will never do it again. So it was to be done in a way that God would be happy living there, that God would look at us and say, you really did the best you could do with what you had. You know, that, that's the final, you know, forget for all of you who are the baptized, forget about the, you know, if you died tonight, would you go to heaven question. The real question for you is the, the, the parable of the talents. What did you do with the stuff I gave you? And where we're going as a church is to have everybody going full blast with all we've got. Given 10% off the top is just the start. I mean, that's just the start of where we're going. We got a lot of work to do. But it's coming so fast, and it's so good. I mean, when you go downstairs after a service and there's 100 people having coffee and just, just jawing with each other, you couldn't, I mean, people pay consultants to come in and tell them how to do that. You know, we got it for free from the shites. It was great, okay? <laughs> so here's the thing. Um, just technically speaking, okay, technically speaking, we should, we should try to get our terms right, and you'll notice that on the screens, we're trying to get our terms right as we label things. We're kind of forcing you to uh, figure out what things are called. The outside, before you go in, is called the narthex. Um, the sanctuary is technically, we don't, we don't have it exactly the way it was always built and the way the name fits because it was a name way back to medieval churches. But the sanctuary is, is, this, is anything kind of inside the rail in this particular place. And the chancel is this area where the altar lives. So you remember um, people would take sanctuary in the Old Testament. If Marilyn was chasing me down trying to kill me because I sold her a car that didn't work, um, what I could do is go to the temple and take sanctuary, touch the altar. And as long as I was touching the altar, you couldn't touch me. So, uh, you know... Of course, the minute I step outside for food or water, you and all your hoodlum friends, it's the end of me, right? So, yeah. So this is the nave out here, you know, sanctuary and chancel in here. So the nave is where everybody's, where, where, where you sit. Um, the sanctuary is where the Lord sits, okay? And you normally go up. In fact, in the original plan, we had to change this a bit for a range of reasons, but the steps actually said sanctus, sanctus, sanctus on the steps in the original plan. Now, things changed over, but we just had this notion of, and you'll often see that um, and going up the stairs. So this is the second bullet point. The stone under your feet is a reminder of where you've come from, the font, and where you're going, back to Eden, and how you'll get there, word and sacrament. You should walk in, and the whole space should be preaching to you. 
I died there and I rose there. Jesus talks to me over there. Jesus feeds me over there. I sit here. Jesus sits there. Jesus blesses me as I make my pilgrimage home to heaven. And someday, heaven is one long Eucharist. Someday, this is what we do all the time. Now, it'll be so expansive. And there'll be so many people. And there'll be so much joy. The Eucharist will be all-encompassing, you know, of everything. You won't be able to imagine. You won't, believe me, you won't be bored by the liturgy in heaven. There's a lot going on. So, this is what you do from now till then. You, you make your walk home and you grow. You walk with Christ and the apostles and the saints and the disciples. It's good to have a statue or two around. Why? Because it reminds you you're not alone. Genius Sermon, when Kleinig was here a few years ago, and he said, this, this sanctuary is the safest place in all the world. It's filled with angels. Isn't that great? It's, it's the best. You know, nothing could go wrong in a sanctuary. It's filled with angels. A nave is filled with angels. Now, your guides along the way, point two, are the four evangelists. And, um, you know, somebody, can you kick ahead, John, and give me a close-up of this? Um, this is not common. It's not uncommon. Um, there's, a, there's a lectern, something like this, in Chicago. The one that we used as a model, just a rough model, was in the cathedral in Chartres in France. Uh, they have a very famous uh, lectern that has the four things. Now, I did get an, you know, an email did come and say, you know, that lectern is positively frightening, you know, shocking. And the answer to that is, yeah, it really is. Uh, open your Bible if you can find Ezekiel. Uh, see if you can open, if you've got a Bible in front of you, see if you can open, open to Ezekiel. So Isaiah, Jer- Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel. It's a frightening book. It's all about the end of the world, and it gets picked up again in Revelation. But in the very first chapter, either Ezekiel is nuts or something really strange is happening. Okay? Because you can find it. Anybody got it? And uh, If you got Ezekiel, in the 13th year, the 4th month, and the 5th day, I was next to the river Chebar, and the heavens were open, and I saw visions of God. Okay? So the heavens are open, and I got a peak, which is, is what, it, you know, Isaiah goes there, and he says, he goes to heaven, and he says, I was undone. I'm undone. I'm a man of unclean lips. I am undone. It's like my pieces came apart. Ezekiel has the repeated experience of this, and it feels like he's going to fly to bits. To see God in this way, ah, gosh, take the little baby Jesus. Okay, so um, if you go down a bit, he talks about who's there. I looked around, and there was all this stuff going on, and there was this appearance. There were four men, but each had four faces, and each of them had four wings. Four faces, four men, four faces, four wings. Got it? This is verse 6. I'm going to go down a little bit. Um, Ten, as for the likenesses of their faces, each had the face of a man in the front. The four had the face of a lion on the right side. The four had the face of an ox on the left side. The four had the face of an eagle on the back. Such were their faces. Man, ox, eagle. What did I forget? Thank you. Such were their faces. Okay, so just sort of pause there. That's in heaven... So, I mean, the obvious question is, who, who the heck are they? There's going to be a lot of that in heaven. Right next to, that'll be the second more, most, more, most popular question after, you got in? <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, right. Am I in hell? Oh, 
<laughs> just teasing you a little bit. Come on, love you. Okay. Uh, I just, I just, I just want to, I just want to say to you. Now you go all the way to Revelation, Revelation four verse seven. Around the throne, around the throne on each side are four living creatures, full of eyes front and behind. The first living creature like a lion, the second living creature like an ox, the third living creature with the face of a man, the fourth living creature a flying eagle. And they never see nice and day to say what you say all the time. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Worthy art thou, Lord our God, to receive glory and honor and power and might and wisdom and strength. This is the liturgy, right? This is in the old blue hymnal. This is why we sang it. Because it's right here. Okay, now put all of that aside. You have this very crazy thing um, from Ezekiel. What in the world does that mean? And then you have this more crazy stuff in Revelation. Wow, still going on between Ezekiel and, and um, you know, when John wrote Revelation. So what in the world's going on? In the church, these four beasts have been have been interpreted as, for some long history, as Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It's as early as the hundreds A.D. in the church. It gets codified. The early fathers, they argue a little bit about who's what. Is John the eagle or is John the, you know? But by about the 4th century, St. Jerome kind of solidifies it. And from then on, um, these four symbols are symbols for the four Gospels. So here you go. Um, Matthew is the wingman. His Gospel is written for Jews, opening with the lineage, right? Here's the family tree. He talks about prophecy and fulfillment. Every good Jew would know, as Arthur said in the sermon today. Um, when Mary heard that, she's like, oh, everybody knew that. Stressing the humanity of Jesus, the incarnation, and he assumes that the human nature is for the salvation of all people. So Matthew, the tax collector, is the winged man. That's the first guy. Can you put him up there, boss? There's from the backside. Um, there he is. So he gets the wings. We wanted to be faithful to that. But he has the man. He's got the man's face. The same guy made these who made the font. Um, there were some sketches done. Help me out, Martha. Did Bruce do the sketches? Who did our initial sketches? Do you remember? Used. So he did their, yeah, we had several bids. That's right. We bid this to a bunch of people. So Warner did his own sketches. So the guy who did the font also, you know, not just big burly things, but he got to, so there's Matthew. Okay. I know, Jonathan. You know, if people don't always like you to do what they tell them. Mark is the lion. Kick ahead to Mark. If you've been to Venice, when you go to Venice, you know, in the square, there's the winged lion. Yeah, because why? Because Mark's buried there. In the altar. They stole him from Alexandria. Opening, well, at least that's what I believe. Mark is the winged lion, opens with the Christmas story, has this urgency. Jesus moves through the gospel and he crushes his enemies and he can't get Jesus on the cross fast enough and then off the cross fast enough, emphasizing the resurrection. And some folks would suggest, because it starts with John the baptizer and John is such a fierce figure, that Mark becomes the lion because of that. Um, that he's interpreted as a very fierce figure. Then Luke. Luke is the bricklayer of the lot. Luke gets, is written for Gentiles, people who need, it's a long gospel, and he needs more explanation. It's actually Luke-Acts, right? And um, this emphasis of the sacrificial death of Christ, 
set against the context of Israel and the sacrificial system of Israel, you're meant to see Jesus as the atonement. The ox is the coolest thing. Um, you should, uh, you know, we should take you up there. We don't need a hundred people up there at once, but really, we'll have to figure a way that you can get a pastor, somebody, an altar guild member, to take you there and just have a look. They're genius. I mean, the ox—that is such a—it's uh, such a thing. You know, it's such a thing. There's such a lot of workmanship in that. And the last one is the eagle. John, Saint John, the eagle, because John is theologically more adept than the others. This notion that he soars above the other Gospels, and you have this developed, um, developed theology. So you can read that. I want to finish up and give Arthur. So two things. You can check that cross. The cross has the four evangelists around him. That's heaven right there. Follow that cross on your walk, and you'll get to heaven. That's the point. Follow that cross, and you'll make it home. Jesus himself will explain through the apostles who he is and what he's doing for you. The second thing is, um, you know, watch for the gospel book. When the gospel book comes out, that's a big deal, big deal thing. You know, that's the story home. That's the map. And all good things come from there. All right, Arthur, you've got a couple of minutes. You want to chatter just a little bit about your trip? Here you go. Thank you, Scott. I want to begin by just saying how delighted Linda and I are, are to be back to St. John's. We consider this our home away from home. And we will continue to come, even though we don't have the same reasons to be here as we had before. <laughs> it's great to hear Scott teach again. Uh, we've had the privilege of, of working together at Arcadia all these years. And with uh, Kirby, too, it was wonderful, Linda and Kirby. It's just great to be back. And your space. I mean, uh, I even if there wasn't you or, or Scott or Kirby, we'd come back for this space. It's, it's a fabulous space. And I'm sure Scott has said this, but I'll say it again. Uh, there's a, a wonderful story about Chart Cathedral, which is perhaps the most beautiful space in the world. And do you know why they built it that way? Because when Jesus comes again, they wanted a beautiful place for him to come. And I think St. John's is that sort of place too. So, And it's great to preach. First time I've preached in that pulpit, it's a lovely preaching space. But that's not why I'm here to talk. <laughs> um we have done tours um, with Nawas for uh, seven times. We've gone to Greece twice. We've done Italy, Sicily, Egypt, Turkey, and Spain. And we've done them all since the year 2000. When I was in Israel for five weeks with my 15-year-old son on an archaeological dick, my only time and first time and great time there, five weeks, we were in northern Israel, Caesarea Philippi. I was one of those people who never really... Israel, you know, I, I mean, I'd go, of course, it's Israel. But having been there, I mean, and all the places I've listed are fabulous. Egypt is one of the great places ever. But there is something about being in Israel that is just unlike any other place. Um, it's safe to go now. Um, it's not that it wasn't that safe. But, you know, it's been a tough 10 years in the Mideast. Uh, now us, who we have gone with for years... Um, they are having tons of trips going to Israel now. Now this is what our seminary uses. This isn't a seminary trip. This is a, a private trip that we're doing, and I'm doing it with a good friend. 1994, he and I were going to do it, a, a pastor from California, and it, we couldn't get it done back in 94, so we're sort of reviving this. S Scott did mention that we invited him to co-host with us. So... 
we, and we still think if you could have your way with him, it's still not too late. And so, but he, he, he thought it was not, maybe not the best year. But we love doing it. We really love doing it. And we have some experience doing it. And there is nobody who is a better hostess than Linda. She is a frustrated pastor's wife. <laughs> and so she has captive on a bus for 10 days, 40 people that she can take care of. And she does a marvelous, marvelous job doing that. We, we do love doing this. We're going in November, November 12 to 21. Why? Cheapest time. Cheapest time. And there aren't many people there. So you get to see things that you can if you go in the summer. It's cooler. It does rain, so it's not the greatest weather, but it's not obviously like Chicago in November. We, get, we come back the day before Thanksgiving. So if you want to have Thanksgiving with your family, we're back before then. So we'd love to have you along. Uh, I think we're going to be fine filling up the bus, but we would love to give first choice to St. John's folks. We'd love to have you. I know some here from St. John's have gone on, on other trips with us, but... It is an incredible experience, and I mean, I, I'm a New Testament guy, so I do know a little bit about the Holy Land, but, but I did do my, my, my STM thesis on the Holy Sepulchre in Jerusalem, so I, that is a particularly significant place for me, and I just want to, I, I would love to do dialogue with you on, on churches and stuff. I mean, everything he says is just, I mean, it's the best, and your church is reflecting the nature of a church, you know, you start with John the Baptist, and where do you go? Jerusalem. So, anyway, I'm probably going over. No, Thank you. Lord's Prayer. Lord's Prayer. Yes. Shall we rise? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory.